Our text for meditation this Transfiguration Sunday is on our Old Testament reading, Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Hear the word of our Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with them in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, truth be told, everybody, We've had a new addition to the family, and we've had all sorts of crazy things going on, so I apologize, there won't be a manuscript for this sermon. There will be a few of my notes, while I didn't take exactly exhaustive notes, please bear with me, normal recordings and manuscripts will begin next week. But I digress. Let's talk about the shining face of Moses in its context in the book of Exodus. When did Moses come down from Mount Sinai? What happened just prior to that? Well, truth be told, it was the golden calf incident. The children of Israel, at this point, have lost many of their brothers and their sons, slaughtered by the tribe of Levi, after Moses ground down the golden calf, broke the tablets of the testimony, screaming bloody murder at these idolaters who turned and went about to play, so to speak. The scriptures are somewhat euphemistic about the kind of play they were doing. Moses comes up to the mountain, he receives the tablets, and then, well, the children get tired children of Israel decide they are going to start bowing down and worshiping a calf, or more specifically, the gods that sat upon the calf. Moses comes down, and he instructs his brothers in the tribe of Levi, who did not engage in that idolatrous, uh, orgiastic celebration, to just kill. About 3,000 people died, and then God sent a plague, which we do not have that much uh, information on. Exodus 32, verse 35, simply tells us that there was a plague that hit the children of Israel after. Then they were debased. They were humiliated by being told to strip off all of their ornaments, all of the jewelry that they had acquired from the Exodus from Egypt. Exodus 33, verses 4 through 6. When Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, his face shining like the sun from simply being near God in a special way, a special presence of our Lord being with him, we do not get the sense 
that the children of Israel were excited to see this special presence. The text says that they were afraid on account of seeing his face. Specifically, the text says that they were afraid to come near him. Why? Well, Moses had gone back up to the mountain. He had prayed for mercy from God Almighty that he might not kill everybody in ancient Israel with him being the lone exception. Remember, all of these people were guilty. And when he pleads to God, God listens. And Moses makes a request. He wants to see God's glory. He wants to be shown God's ways. If he is to lead this people, he must be made more holy and stronger in faith, knowing that they are a stiff-necked people, as God describes them. God consents, of course, covering Moses' face, for he says, No man shall see my face and live. Yet, when he passes by, what does he say? That the Israelites did not hear. Oh, Moses heard it. Moses was refreshed. Moses was strengthened in his faith. He heard this from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. It is after God pronounces this to Moses that he renews the covenant. He has Moses bring up tablets to Mount Sinai, and God himself writes that covenant once more. The children of Israel have a second chance. But when Moses comes down from the mountain and he pronounces all of these words, they're not happy. They do not receive this as good news. Instead, they're afraid to even get close to Moses. You would think that Moses had something like good news to share with them and they would receive it that way. But it wasn't. They were correct to not receive it as good news. You see, they receive the covenant once more, but it is a covenant that says, Do this. Do, do, do. You haven't been all slaughtered as you deserve. There's mercy there, but go back to your works. Go back to what the law pronounces, and heaven help you if you should ever do anything like the golden calf once more. All these people have known at this point is wrath. Oh yes, they were delivered in the Exodus. Yes, they were delivered and they saw God slaughter Pharaoh's army with the Red Sea crossing. All of that water crushed down, destroyed this army, delivered them from their slavery, absolutely. But we human beings have short memories. We live in the moment. Anytime anybody ever tells you, oh, you just got to live in the moment, stay in the present, well, chances are you're already doing that. And for the children of Israel, it is no different. They didn't hear God's mercy as God proclaimed it from the mountaintop to Moses. They didn't hear any gospel in this moment. It was all law. 
So they are afraid of Moses' shining face. They are afraid of him and unhappy with what they're hearing. They still follow. They still want to. God knows that there is something in you and I that is drawn to the Lord despite our sinfulness, despite our complete depravity. But in that moment, all they know is fear. Can you imagine God killing your family member and then he tells you, ah, but I've given you a second chance, rejoice. (laughs) You're going to be terrified. You are going to be absolutely beside yourself in fear because you didn't hear or receive anything like the gospel at that time. Beloved, Exodus chapter 34, from which we are reading today, tells us exactly what it is like to be in a situation of law without gospel. Your religion can be true. Oh, sure, a religion can certainly be true. But if it is not salvific, if it is something that's contractual based on whether or not you can overcome your own human weaknesses, you're going to be terrified. And it can be as holy as you want, this religion. It can be as holy and otherworldly and ineffable as humanly comprehensible. To the point where you understand these great mysteries, but if it does not save you, if it does not give you the forgiveness of your sins, if it just tells you you have another chance based on the death of so many of your friends and family members, the plague that you're experiencing, the disease wasting half of you away, what good is it going to be? How are you going to feel? You're not going to feel rejoicing at this second chance. You're going to feel terrified. But beloved, that means that you and I are in a privileged, wonderful position. Whenever we fall into sin, and whenever we experience the consequences of our sin, we're hurt, we're afraid, we are guilty and ashamed. We feel like those ornaments that previously adorned us are now cast off just like the Israelites cast off all the wonderful gifts they received in Egypt. When we are feeling pain or plague, in the midst of that guilt, we know what to do. Jesus died for our sins. God himself, knowing our guilt, knowing our fear, says it is not right for us to stay that way. So he provided us a way to hear the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. He has given you and I someone to run to, someone to go to for the soothing of those fears and that guilt. Our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for us. Now, you and I, of course, still being in a mortal coil, still having to deal with the old Adam, it is not as though you and I could just walk upright to God and look him straight in the face and not die. But we do have a face that we can look upon. We can look upon our crucified and risen Savior. We can go to him in the sacrament and say, He is here for me so that I don't have to be afraid, so that I do not have to be so guilty. And the glory of Moses' face is certainly covered. 
on account of the people's fear. But the glory of Christ is uncovered. The lectionary connects this passage from Exodus 34 to the transfiguration, where our Lord shows that he has that light within himself because he is divine. Certainly. You can make that connection, and the guys that make the lectionary are way smarter than me. But if you ask me, if I was designing the lectionary, I would prefer to connect Moses' shining face with the veil in the temple being torn in two at the crucifixion of our Lord Christ. The veil in the temple, in front of the holiest of holies, is the same as the veil that covers Moses' face. Because Moses had to veil his face from the presence of God that was near him, so too in the holiest of holies was the special presence of God veiled before the faces of men, that we might not look at it and thus be paralyzed and destroyed with fear. But Christ ripped those veils in the temple, the veil to the holiest of holies in two, because the presence of our God comes to us now directly, not through a mediator like Moses, not through a special chamber like the holiest of holies. Oh no, each and every one of us as believers may come boldly to the throne of grace and seek intercession from our Lord the same way Moses did. We do not have to be afraid and guilty all the time as believers. For when our sins weigh us down, when the consequences of our sins harm us, when the discipline of the Lord, the chastening that he gives to all of his children, be, feels severe to us, we can go to Christ. We can pray to our God boldly and say, Forgive me, refresh me, and renew me. I am sorry for my sins. I am feeling your discipline. I know what I deserve, and I know that it is worse than I am getting. But I pray for your mercy upon me. I pray for the confidence of the forgiveness of sins. I remember my baptism and all of the promises that come with the faith that I have, that you gave me in my Lord Jesus, crucified for me. And I appeal to your mercy. You and I have that right. Now, the children of Israel did not get what they deserved after the golden calf incident. God had every right to slaughter every last one of them. The worst offenders, of course, the 3,000 that were killed by the tribe of Levi, they got the full brunt of what they deserved. But the rest of the children of Israel, who quote-unquote rose up to play, there was a kind of mercy that they received a second chance. Sure, the consequences of their sin were not the full consequences of their sin, but they didn't know at this point, having not heard the gospel proclaimed to them, that they could just go to our Lord. This is one of the reasons there were so many difficulties in the wilderness years, where they fell time and time again to further idolatry, like with Balaam, seducing the young men of Israel to go worship foreign gods with the Moabite women. This happened time and time again, 
Because as much as they had the law, the law does not make you righteous. It merely tells you to be righteous. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many second chances you're going to get, the law by itself cannot fully cleanse us from our sin and our unrighteousness. But God's forgiveness does. The gospel does. It cleanses and renews us and helps us to get back up and get back on that saddle. So, dearly beloved, while I do apologize for this sermon being a little bit more stream of consciousness, bear in mind that when we are feeling that, when we are feeling the same fear as the children of Israel, when we are afraid of God, instead of running away, instead of trying to cover up God's presence with a veil, whether that's the veil over Moses' face or the veil over the holiest of holies or the veils we put over God's presence in our lives, like our distractions and our hobbies, etc. Instead of doing that, embrace it. Say, I am afraid, but I will go to my God who wants me to come boldly to the throne of grace. Seeing what the children of Israel had, a religion that sometimes didn't show them the gospel. Instead, they just experienced God's wrath. Let's look at that and say, I'm going to go closer to Christ from now on and forevermore. Now, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.